Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so that you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. If you've been following along, this is the final of three episodes of my self-titled From the Vault series. It's essentially some episodes I recorded from way back, and unfortunately, I'm just getting around to releasing them now. And specifically with this episode, I recorded with Brianna Duick, or the artist formerly known as Brianna Solberg, a couple summers ago after her final volleyball season with the Calgary Dinos. But before we get started, I wanted to share some more exciting news with you. So Brie is not the only one making her debut on Reading the Play, but we've also got two other artists from the volleyball community making their inaugural appearances on this episode as well. First up, maybe you've already noticed the killer updated artwork. That comes courtesy of former Mount Royal Cougar turned graphic designer Taylor Pelland. Also, we'll be debuting some more new music, so a major shout-out goes out to former Trinity Western Spartan and current starting setter for your Canadian women's national volleyball team, Brie King, as a couple of her songs will become regulars on the show. I'll include the song titles in the show notes in case you want to find them on Apple Music or Spotify. She's really got some really good stuff on there. Coming up. Brianna Duick, or you might know her as Brianna Solberg from her volleyball days with the Calgary Dinos, she joins me on Story Island and we really unpack all the cool things she has accomplished over the years. We cover a good portion of her volleyball career for sure, but we also get into other areas like community service, acting in a motion picture film, she even raps a few lines for us at the end, so we really do have some fun on here, not gonna lie. Well, it looks like Brianna's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Very excited to have Brianna Solberg join me on Story Island today. Brianna, a native of Winnipeg, Manitoba. You've been a couple years removed now from playing collegiate volleyball, but uh, how has life as a NARP, and for everyone who doesn't know what a NARP is, uh, how has that life treated you? So a NARP is a non-athletic regular person is what people <laughs> refer to those who have previously played varsity sport and now are retired. So yeah, I guess the transition initially was hard, especially being injured because there wasn't a lot of um, physical activities that I could do. Um, but I slowly got back into things last summer Uh, doing my rehab, I was pretty much only able to run because everything else was too uncontrollable and too painful. But I slowly got into running. And so I guess that's kind of my athletic outlet these days. And I've really been enjoying that. And it's it's nice because it's like mentally completely different from volleyball or team sports. But it's a really great um, athletic outlet for me. So I wouldn't say I'm a non-athletic regular person. I would say that I try to keep pretty active, but um, definitely playing organized sports is something that um, I miss a lot. But yeah, it's time for something different now. What's your next athletic goal that you have targeted? So 
I mean, I've been getting really inspired lately watching these athletic documentaries on Netflix or YouTube, like this Iron Cowboy who did something like 50, 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. Like, I watch stuff like that, and it's just <laughs> totally awe-inspiring for me. So my next athletic goal, I guess I ran a half marathon uh, last November, so my next goal naturally would be to try out a full marathon. So I've been putting in time training, but on it, I don't think I'll be ready within the next year to run a full marathon, but hopefully get in a couple more halves and then one day a full and then maybe try, try a try, try a triathlon. And I don't know, those, these are all things that I think I could really, I can mind over matter anybody, so... Those are all things that I would like to challenge myself mentally to do one day. And we'll get into how the knee injury has played a part in, you know, your athletic endeavors these days a little bit later. But let's rewind back a little bit here to the early days for Brianna Solberg and growing up in Winnipeg. Was volleyball your first serious sport or or were you playing other sports um, growing up as well? So... I actually didn't start playing volleyball until grade nine. So I was a big soccer player growing up. I played at a high level. Um, I played for the provincial team, um, and I played all the way until grade 12. I played soccer. Um, And I kind of had always thought that that would be something I would pursue. But I started to grow a lot, and I grew really really quickly like I grew six inches in in probably the span of a year and a half and what so grade I, was that that was grade eight and so wow. I went from like five one to five seven and then continued to grow after that but it was my my muscles didn't catch up with how quickly I grew so I was just this lanky tall skinny uh wannabe soccer player but I wasn't basically strong enough to get to get the sprinting down so I kind of just volleyball seemed like a natural sport for somebody tall and lanky to start playing and I played it but more leisurely like I still wanted to take soccer really seriously and then in high school I kind of wanted to just try every sport because for the first time they had competitive golf teams and tennis teams and badminton, track and field. So I, I actually did literally play every single sport in high school except for basketball. <laughs> um, basketball what, was what the one. What do you think you'd do because you're tall? I know, but it was the one that was it required too much commitment. Like it was too serious, but I could get away with playing. I was on the soccer team. I was on the field hockey team. I was on the ultimate Frisbee team. I was on the golf team. Like, I, I played every single sport, basically. Um, so, yeah, I definitely tried a little bit of everything, and I, I didn't even play club volleyball in grade 12 because I wanted to do all these other things, and I had already signed to go play university. So I think um, growing up, I, I, I'm reading this book called Range, and it's about not specializing too soon, and I think, like, that was... I'm not saying I'm now an elite athlete or anything, but that was definitely my childhood was just um, very general, no specialization in one thing too heavily. Um, 
to just kind of try and develop a bunch of different skills. And I ended up playing volleyball and that worked out for me, but definitely enjoyed a combination of things in high school. So a side tangent here, while we're on the subject of specialization, which side of the fence are you on? I'm just curious, the the side where you're specializing your kid right away or having that that broader range like like he grew up with have you have you read the book i have not have you heard of the tiger versus the roger uh different methods of raising your kids um yeah i think he, uh definitely the author advocates for the less specialized approach because if you have a kid who was destined to be a great golfer and they they spend all their time from basically the minute they can walk learning to golf. Yeah, they might end up a good golfer, but um, someone like Roger Federer was raised doing basically everything but tennis, and he specialized late in in actually becoming a tennis player. So, yeah, I think I would definitely, because of my history and my path, say that specializing too soon kind of closes some doors and it closes you off to experiences that you could have or, or skills you could develop. So I'm definitely an advocate for the less specialized, more general approach to, I guess, raising kids, but in life in general too. And even now, as I choose a career path, I'm like, I don't want to specialize too soon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's applicable in all stages of life. So when did you begin to phase out soccer and amp up the volleyball then? Well, I guess after I signed to go and play university, then it was then then it was obvious that, that I was gonna give up soccer and uh, pursue volleyball. But I think after I had that growth spurt, it was I got actually I got cut from a team, and that was really discouraging. I got cut from the provincial team, and I was invited to try out again the next year. But by that time, I already had too many sports on the go and I I didn't want to spend that much time and energy playing soccer anymore but volleyball just kind of worked out to be the one that I don't even remember how I think because I was good at it and maybe getting recognition for it and I, I liked that better and I had made a bunch of friends on my volleyball team and those are the people that I spent most of my time with so it naturally just kind of made sense to pursue volleyball because I got a lot of joy out of playing and I was going to have the opportunity to go play university so well and you got player of the year one year too right yeah that was in grade in grade 12 I did um Manitoba does this big uh I guess they make a big deal out of ranking their high school athletes I don't know if they do that in Alberta but it's honestly kind of it's a little bit twisted because <laughs> it gets really competitive. But um, yeah, in my grade 12 year, actually Laura, it came out in the newspaper that Laura was ranked player of the year. Uh, she was one and I was two. And then at the awards banquet at the end of the year, I think um, I ended up getting uh, the award for player of the year it was just very like okay what is going on so the underdog won yeah (laughs) so all in all it's a very twisted system of of hierarchies and rankings and politics but 
yeah, I did. I think I walked away with an award in my grade 12 year. So that was nice. Crazy. So <laughs> so you already had this uh, pre-existing relationship with Laura. And I didn't know about this one, one versus two mm-hmm. head-to-head battle for player of the year in Manitoba. Laura McManus, uh, for those of you listening. But what was your relationship like with her? Was she kind of like that girl from the other school that you were just <laughs> battling all, all through senior year in high school? No. Uh, well, <laughs> we did go to different schools, but we were also close friends at, at that point. And we played on the same club team the year before, for two years before, actually, 16 and 17. So we had a friendship and we, we were obviously quite competitive with each other. Um but I don't remember it ever being like, I don't know, maybe it was, I, maybe she would say different. I don't think it was ever like that competitive that it, that it hindered our friendship. Maybe when we first came, cause we obviously both signed to come here. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we first got here it w- and we were competing for the same position, things got a little more uh, competitive between us, but no, in high school it was, we were good friends and the decision for both of us to come out here, like we were really excited about it. And, um, I think we thought about living together, but then my mom ended up moving here as well. So I lived with her. Let's get into that bit of your decision to come to Calgary. First off, what did the offer landscape look like for you? Where were you considering seriously to play? Like what maybe two schools did it come down to? and take me through that whole process of how the dinos reached out to you and how you got connected to Natalie. So, like I said, I I honestly didn't think that I would, I didn't even know if I'd go play volleyball or do soccer. My grandma was really into trying to get me a golf scholarship because she was always in my ear like, do you know how many golf scholarships go unused for I need women to, I need to talk States? to your grandmother. <laughs> So I was like, maybe that, or or, uh, beach volleyball was on the table as well. So I was really into keeping my options open, but I ended up getting the offer from Natalie in the summer before I went into grade 12. And she invited me to come out here on a recruiting visit. So I came, but I was obviously very like neither here nor there about it. I was like, oh, Calgary could be nice. Like I've been to the gym before. I've seen it. Um, and you didn't go with Laura for that trip though, no, right? No, no. Okay. I I think I came out here before Laura and saw the campus, met some of the, the girls on the team and spent the day with Natalie. And I just had such a blast. Like I, I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. And um went home and I I still was really unsure. Like I didn't want to just throw all my eggs in one basket too soon. So I sat with the decision for a little while. And the only other offer at that point that I had that I was seriously considering was actually going to Brandon because all of my closest friends that I just finished playing the provincial volleyball team with that summer for Team Manitoba were going to Brandon and I was 
just like I had the biggest fear of missing out because of all the good times they were going to have. And so I really thought about going there and I had an offer there. But ultimately when it came down to it, I think I remember, I remember Laura coming out a few weeks after I had to Calgary and kind of loving it as much as I did. And, and I think she signed like pretty much right when she got home. So Before it was like, you. yeah, it was like a done deal for her. She was really excited about it. And I was obviously like, well, if she's going there, that's another kind of reason for me to. And, um, and that overtook any of the, uh, concerns you had about missing out the brand. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I think it also made it seem like, well, if I think at that point, I probably thought like if Flora's going there, she must believe it's going to be a good program. So maybe it'll be a good program because at the time it kind of wasn't like it was a little bit um, doing some rebuilding, obviously, in that first year. Well, everybody knows those first few years we didn't do as well as we ended up doing in my fourth and fifth year so um when we came in the program was struggling a little bit but I remember thinking yeah I'll go there and I'll get my chance to help build something bigger and if Laura thinks that it's going to be good maybe I should jump on board as well did you know that you'd be battling with and competing with Laura for the same position or what role I guess, did you expect going into uh, your time with the dinos? Um, I remember I remember getting this question when somebody interviewed me before I left and just saying, yeah, I think the coaches made it pretty clear that everybody has to battle for their spot. So that was my mindset was just that I was going to go there and work as hard as I could and see if there was an opportunity for me to start. Um, and there was definitely an opening because they had just graduated like five outside hitters. So I knew there was a spot. And I think, I don't even remember, it was so long ago. But I knew I would be competing with Laura for that spot. And in my first year, I think I had, I did start in my first year. But that was because we had so many injuries. I think Laura got a concussion at one point. Um, but you have to be ready Yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah. There was like at one point only like seven healthy players. It was a rough first year. A short but bench. Then, yeah. In my second year, I think I played right side because Jana had a bad shoulder. And I think Laura played middle. It was all over the place. So it's amazing to see how 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 far the team actually came over those over my five years at least we went from literally last in the league to winning the league so (laughs) from a mindset standpoint though when there's so much volatility and uncertainty around where you're going to be playing on the court how does that affect your preparation and your approach to the game um it's it's amazing because when I was young like in my first three years I was just so I think I was pretty flexible. Like I did play every position. I played right side, left side, and libero at some point or another. And I was always open to just doing whatever role was needed of me. So I I mean, sometimes it was frustrating and hard to prepare. 
because like I could be going into a game warm up and not knowing what position I'd be playing that game. But I think when I was younger, I just thought, yeah, this is part of it. Like this is part of me putting in kind of like hours just to hopefully get to the point of some sort of consistency where we're, we're all good enough and solid enough that we don't need to shuffle people around anymore. But that didn't come till my fourth year. So took like a grind for three years to try and figure something out. And obviously you're dealing with injuries, so you just never know. But if it would have been the other way around, if I would have started out just playing one position in my first two years and then for the last three being thrown around, that would have been much harder. But to finish on kind of a solid, consistent note was definitely like the cherry on top. You mentioned earlier that the turn for the program for the better happened around your fourth or fifth year when do you think that happened specifically and when did you get that sense that you were going to transform this into a program where you could consistently compete at the highest level in Canada West I think that the difference was in my fourth year that we were an older more mature team because for so long we had being young like we didn't have many veteran players so for so long we were that young underdog team trying to figure it out trying to figure out lines that worked trying to deal with injuries and emotions and all those politics but my fourth year was different because everybody came in with sort of a different mindset like okay the older girls got it they knew kind of how the league went, how to take care of their bodies, and having kind of solid commitment from veteran players was a big deal too. And not only that, but how we were as a team compared to other teams, we weren't suddenly way younger. Like we were the older team now compared to other teams. So it all that also makes a big difference, how your team is relative to the other teams in the league. So we had all the confidence in the world because all these other teams were now the younger up and coming teams doing their rebuilding years. So yeah, I mean, to have a dynasty where your team is just the best year after year, you have to have people, you have to have amazing athletes sitting on the bench for a few years so that they're ready to be at their peak in their fourth and fifth year. And that's just hard. People come and go through the program. It's not really realistic. Well, they're not used to sitting on the bench either when they've been starting their whole life. Yeah, exactly. And for us, we had those people had all played like me, Laura, Jay, um, Kate Paxman, Chev, like all the people who are in their third, fourth, fifth years had all played all that whole time. Mm. And so, yeah, we might have been kind of on the worst end when we were all young playing in our first, second, third year. But then once we all had that experience in our fourth and fifth year relative to other teams who are now inexperienced, it did make a big difference for us to be kind of that strong. We weren't the underdogs anymore. And yeah, we we were able to find success. So then at what point did you feel that you were comfortable in that system and comfortable with your role on the team and even showing the younger generation, what it takes to compete at the highest level in Canada here collegiately. It was 
at the beginning of my fourth year, and this is kind of this turning point that I refer to all the time when people ask what changed for, for me personally. Um, I came into my fourth year pretty discouraged just because I had actually just finished filming that movie. <laughs> Which we'll get to later. Yeah, and that took a significant portion of time and I wasn't able to train the way I would have during that time. So I came into my fourth year pretty out of shape and discouraged and feeling like I was going to have to put in a lot of time and effort to make up for the workouts I missed and to get strong enough to be helpful or, um, you know, I was in my fourth year. I didn't really want to mess around anymore, but at the same time, I felt a little bit inadequate and... I remember just having this absolute breakdown where I called my mom and I was like, I don't know if I can do it. Like, I don't know if I can make it through this whole year because I'm already behind. And I don't know, I was just being emotional, but my mom obviously talked me down and she was like, just go talk to Nat about it. So I went in to meet with Nat after one of our um, summer sessions leading up to the season. And I remember just like bawling and telling her (laughs) I don't want this year to be like the last three I'm going to like I've made the decision that I'm going to put in the work and uh, I just want you guys to know like I'm serious about this year and they were like oh okay great like thanks for telling us and nothing really changed in in terms of their mindset towards me personally but because we went, I think, the week after that to Edmonton for a preseason tournament. And I still didn't start. And then basically what happened was somebody, I went in for somebody and did exactly what they told me to do. Like, they told me, you're going to go in there, don't make errors, hit down the line. And that's exactly what I did. And did it confidently because I had already decided I wasn't going to care about any of the external things I couldn't control. And I was just going to work hard at what I could control. And after that day, I started every single game for the rest of my career, basically. So that's cool. And you didn't give yourself a backdoor either. No, that was that was the turning point that day, because I think it was the discussion I had had and telling myself like and truly believing that I I wasn't going to mess around like I was going to get there but it was going to take a lot of work and focus and not worrying about things that I couldn't control. So, because for my first 3 years I was always worried about things I couldn't control. I was worried about what so and so thought of me, mm-hmm. what my coach was going to think if I made this mistake. Was I strong enough? Whether you start or not. Would I start? Yeah. Yeah. Why did I get subbed out? And it was just like so much worrying for no reason. When like I play at my best when I'm calm and just like relaxed. So that was the change for me to just like have that absolute breakdown, but then realize, okay, if I want this year to be different, then I have to change my mindset. So for me personally, that was the turning point. And then somehow, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying because I changed my attitude, everything got better. But but somehow everybody else kind of changed their attitude that year too. Like 
all of a sudden people were excited to come to practice and it was like a really good team atmosphere like people were supportive of each other and it was fun it just was all of a sudden volleyball was fun again and we obviously it's fun when you're winning we had a lot of success that year and then it just carried on into my fifth year but hey your positive attitude was more infectious than you thought Hmm. yeah so I've heard no (laughs) (laughs) the other point I wanted to make too was after reflecting on all that you probably didn't even realize how much mental energy it took uh, to think about all these different things that you can't control and then once you finally turn the corner and you realize you can only control what you can control and release all the other things yeah absolutely. your performance gets better oh for sure and when you realize that you're not really doing it for anybody else but for your own enjoyment and to get like the best out of your relationships with your teammates and your coaches then it's all worth it because otherwise if you're just going in every day and putting in your time but it's causing you so much stress then it's not worth it and I get why there's like a bit of burnout after your third year and I get why people quit because they just decide that they have a better use of their time or they could focus on school or um, pursue other things and I totally understand that because I thought I was there too at one point like I came into my fourth year and I at one point really wanted to quit but then ultimately the decision to change my circumstances led to I mean I'm so glad that things turned out the way they did but it wasn't easy to get there like it was a complete learning curve and I think it's something that can only happen over five years through trial and error and (laughs) unfortunately I had to learn the hard way that you're going to struggle a bit in order to figure out how to focus on what's truly important. And for me, it ended up being uh, relationships, I guess, was the most important thing. So if I could form really good personal friendships with my teammates and have a good relationship with my coach, then it would all be worth it at the end. I could kind of sense that in that fourth year you were playing that the team, the unit was so tightly knit, like Mm -hmm. nothing could break you guys nothing could shake you guys Mm -hmm. and obviously it was a joy to watch pretty much the entire core intact heading into year five um but that was certainly one of the big things that stood out from an outside perspective Mm -hmm. how close you guys were and it can also translate to some good play on the court because you kind of have the expectations of where people are going to be anticipation and um, but also what people are going through too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, understanding what people are going through so you can meet them where they're at and help them is one big thing because there's a lot going on behind the scenes outside of volleyball. And it's you have to kind of learn to switch your mindset when you show up at practice. Like it's not easy to leave the day behind. Like that is something that takes a bit of uh, tra- training to be able to do well. And also, yeah, it's fun playing beside your friends. So when you have good relationships with the people you're playing with, it's going to be more enjoyable. And then I think through that you find success because it's hard to be successful when everybody's just frustrated and frustrated with the people beside them. So, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit biased too, but I think that year people seem to hold on to the unit that was that team for my fourth and fifth year like that 
group of people is still close. Mm-hmm. Like we were at Emma and Derek's wedding last weekend and that group of people still, I mean, obviously those are the people I played with. So it's, it's, I'm a little bit biased, but I mean, I, I played with some older players too and some younger players and that kind of core solid group of people is still going to be some of my closest friends for the rest of my life. So yeah, I'm just really thankful that I didn't leave when I thought things were done for me and I stuck it through. And, um, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have the amazing friendships and relationships that I do now. So let's chat about that fifth year there where you guys had a crazy, great season, regular season. Were expectations different for that year? Was there more pressure? There was a little more pressure, more more urgency, just because for me, Laura and Jay and Amber in particular, it was our last year. So that's kind of thrown in your face every chance anybody gets. It's like, okay. Including me. Yeah. You need to do this now because what, if, not, if not now, when? <laughs> yeah, and this is it. This is it. And that, like before every game, basically, you're like, oh, this is the last this. This is the last time I'll do this. This is like, it's all lasts and it's very emotional. And so there's more urgency just in the sense that you're kind of on this emotional roller coaster of trying to make it so perfect mm. and to f- fulfill all your expectations of what you thought reaching the end goal, which is your fifth year, would be. But for me, I mean, it was all going exactly according to plan. I was definitely emotional at times. Every time I experienced a last game in a certain gym or whatever, I was sad about it. But it was all going perfectly until I got injured, basically. I missed my fifth year game. And your whole career, you're like, I just want to get to my senior night and play and have the lights out game. And you think that's what it's going to be. And for me, I I rolled my ankle the Tuesday before that weekend. So I didn't play in that game. And that, that I thought was the most devastating thing. Like mm. I remember crying and crying about how unfair it was, how it wasn't supposed to be that way. And then, <laughs> um, sure enough, I rehabbed really quick and I ended up playing the weekend after on a sprained ankle just cause I remember thinking, I don't, I won't need, uh, this is my last year. Like it, I, it's now or never, right? Everybody's on you. Like, well, are you going to need a solid ankle? in a few months from now no just like play through the pain now and so I did and I played the weekend after on a sprained ankle and a lot of naproxen and a good tape job and I ended up tearing my PCL and I I don't know if the two were necessarily correlated it was the same leg I don't like to think that the two are related but I'm sure they were to some degree but still it's just like I thought the ankle was bad because I missed my fifth year night and now this was right before playoffs and I kind of had to let it sink in like I wasn't gonna go to nationals I was never gonna get to experience playing at that level and and finishing out my fifth year the way that I had pictured it for so long being just this perfect like that is when I'll peak I'll be the best I've ever been and this is what it was all for was this pivotal moment where I am like the best volleyball player I could possibly be and we win nationals and you think like obviously that just like plays over and over in your head Mm. and so I had to like mourn the loss of that a little bit but reflecting on it now it's like if, if that 
were to remain in my head the goal like if I still pictured the whole point of my experience being winning nationals in my last year then it none of it would have been worth it because I didn't accomplish that goal sure so I just had to come to realize I guess that it was all for the things that I took for granted not not in the end but I took them for granted for three years like the relationships that, that I talked about and um just enjoying every every minute of every day I got to play and practice and yeah it was all for the external stuff that I still cherish and hold on to now because even winning Canada West or like you think that that's all you want but it doesn't really fulfill you for the long term like everybody kind of forgets who I mean I don't know because I never won nationals but people say like oh yeah it's not it's not the be all end all. Like if that's what your whole experience is about, then you're going to be disappointed because Mm -hmm. if you walk away from it all now and don't really have any other highlights to hold on to, then it's not going to be all it's cracked up to be. Well, and I got a sense that after winning Canada West in your final year, and rightly so you guys as a team weren't satisfied with that victory but I'd like to put out there that it should be among one of the best highlights of your career, or at least one of the best accomplishments anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe I view it differently because I saw it from the outside looking in. Like I I was on the team, obviously it was su- super exciting and so happy to be a part of a championship team. But because it didn't look the way I would have liked it to, like I wasn't playing, mm-hmm. I was injured. And like to me, it was just, in the moment like obviously I was really happy but it was it was bittersweet like to be honest I was sad because I wish I would have been playing in that game and contributing yeah 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 so but then like looking back on it nothing about that was really bitter like I guess it's cliche to say like I helped get them there I don't I don't really think like that or feel like that but I just think about how my experience over five years brought me to that point of like just being able to be on a championship team. Mm -hmm. Like some people don't get to that point ever in their five years. Right. So, I mean, it's not, it is a highlight for sure, but it's, it's probably not one of the first things I talk about when I talk about my experience as a varsity athlete. Like no one really cares if your team was good like you can talk about all the successes I think as a varsity athlete, but ultimately it's like I was part of this team and these were my experiences. These are what like shaped the bulk of my experiences is what I took away from it. And most of it, people aren't going to talk about, oh yeah, we won and it was great and that's it, the end. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's a nice cherry on top, but it's definitely I've come to realize not what it was all about all along. So hypothetically speaking... Let's say you're working at a summer volleyball camp in Manitoba and a young camper comes up to you and asks you what the best part about being a varsity athlete was. What would, how would you sum it up? <laughs> wow. So many like instant things came to mind like per diem and, <laughs> <laughs> and team meals. You talk about per diem yeah. over a Canada West yeah, championship. No, uh, but I honestly, the first thing I say would not be the Canada West championship. If they were to say, what was the highlight of your whole career? 
for me, it would, well, I just, I can't think of anything now besides like the relationships, Hmm. those like really honestly close friendships that I wouldn't have if I didn't go through being a varsity athlete. Every single one of my like closest friends right now, I met through playing varsity sports. So, and, and not just playing, like playing with them. So yeah, I think that just goes without saying is the most valuable part about being on a team is that you form like sisterly bonds with people. And regardless of whether you win or lose, like those are going to be what you go through life with. Circling back to that PCL injury there, what were the next steps and what did rehab look like for you? And um, were you able to just mentally wrap your head around, man, this is a pretty significant injury. And how am I going to get back to full strength? I don't think that I thought of it as a really significant injury until we were at nationals because I didn't want to believe that I was going to be going there and not playing at all. So until we left and we were at at our first practice in Laval, I still kept telling myself that I was going to be ready to play by the time we got there. So I was, I've never been a rehabber. Like I went through my whole career. I got injured a few times, but like I notoriously did not go to AT. I did not book AT appointments and I didn't, go to AT like (laughs) so for me to be in AT every day for like three hours for those because I only had two weeks after I got injured before we left for nationals Mm -hmm. so within that two week period I was at AT every single day working really hard thinking I can get this thing where it needs to be for me to play in two weeks and like people kind of around me telling me yeah you could you could. It's gonna be really painful, but you can. Were they telling you like the PCL injury was the least significant of the the ACL t- or the the knee, knee ligament tears? Yeah, that <laughs> I was getting some of that. I was like, you can play through pain. Basically, it's already torn. You're not gonna do any further damage. You're yeah, not, like stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, okay. I don't need this. Like, I can I can do this. And I literally got this brace from Alyssa Coulter, who had the same injury couple years before me and I wore it like all day every day and I would do my rehab in it and I like the week before we left nationals I was like destined to jump into into practice and the weird thing about PCL is that there's so many movements you can do with zero pain Mm. but then as soon as you do one thing that like you would need your PCL for your leg just gives out because it's not there and so for me, I could jump, I could run controlled. Um, so what's the movement that you the can do? The movement would be if I were to take off into a sprint, okay. basically any sort of kick back. So like raising your heel to your butt, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So like I could run if I had my calf engaged because it would do the job of my PCL. But if I wasn't thinking and just went to sprint, my leg would give out. So obviously I wasn't in top shape (laughs) but um I still believed like I don't really need to sprint to be able to play and pass well like I thought I I was just like in my head like I was like I can play libero I can go in as a serving sub like I could do all this stuff because it was frustrating right like I could be hitting in practice and obviously it didn't feel great but 
I just, I don't know why I thought like it was going to be one of those things like you hear about marathoners tearing their ACL and continuing to run. And I was like, that'll be me. They'll be like, she played at nationals on a torn PCL. But ultimately it was all a pipe dream because we got there. And even my, like Nat didn't go to nationals, but it was very clear that Al was instructed that I, like I wasn't going to play. It was always known that I wasn't going to be playing. I think I just didn't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. So I had like a bit of a real or a stiff realization curve when I got to nationals and we had our first practice and I was just like so discouraged because I, I it all sunk in at that moment like well I'm here to watch so that was really hard being at nationals was really hard I remember crying every day because my whole family was there to watch too and um yeah, even now when I think about it, like it is, it is really sad. Like I thought the ankle injury and missing my fifth year night was a big deal. I had to like downplay this because it was the most, like it was the, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to go through for me personally. Like I, yeah, it was devastating, but. And at that point it's probably more mental than physical. Hey. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then I remember just thinking, I can't wait until the season's over because then. I won't have to feel like I'm missing out anymore. Hmm. And yeah, eventually the season did end and we didn't win nationals. Then I was just left with this injury that was actually quite serious. <laughs> so then I started trying to rehab after the fact because it was like, do you want to be able to run and jump and do all these things? Well, then you kind of need to strengthen the muscles around it and heal it properly. So I started, I did the exercises that they had been telling me to do, continue doing those. I couldn't play volleyball. I know you're, you're asking why I didn't play one volleyball last year. That's why, because I was still pretty injured and I didn't start doing anything until like July was when I finally got kind of like motivated enough to get back on my feet to do something athletic. And yeah, now, now my PCL is fine. (laughs) we've come full circle um when you were rehabbing though was there a lot of pain or was it restricted range of motion what was the big setback or the big resisting point for you uh, when you're trying to participate in athletics it was definitely pain and restricted both restricted range of motion as well so I would do something to it that would tweak it and it would be like an aching pain for the rest of the day. So like stubbing your toe hmm. would be the one thing I was just like, it happened a couple of times. And then after that, I would literally walk like I was walking on a tightrope because I didn't want to stub my toe because it would just ruin my whole day. Um, at one point in May, I thought I was well enough to go snowboarding right before sunshine closed. So I wore my brace, but I went out snowboarding and I remember it was actually pretty good because when it's stationary, I mean, you're not really going to do a lot to it, but I went over a, like a small jump. That was a bad idea. Um, it hurt a lot the next day, (laughs) but basically it was just getting over pain and weakness and being able to like actually kick my butt again and bring my heel back. 
I still don't think that my PCL is in charge of that motion for this leg. Like, mm-hmm. I think that is something my calf completely compensates for now and my hamstring. So getting that hamstring strength and and everything was part of the rehab process. Your good friend and teammate, Kate Pexman, has dealt with her share of injuries. Did you ever consult with her about the idea of using a knee scooter? <laughs> um, I don't know if she ever ripped around on one of those things before I did my knee. But also, for my specific injury, a knee scooter would not, I could not have used one. Because... Right. Uh, PCL is essentially the opposite of the ACL, so it stops, it's behind your knee and stops that kind of back. They call it the dashboard when you tear it. They call it the dashboard condition or whatever because typically people only tear their ACLs in car accidents because their knees hit the dashboard Hmm. and it drives it back. Um, Wow. Yeah, so uh, anyways... You couldn't use a knee scooter because you couldn't lean on it like that. Like that, to, that was one of the most painful things actually was like trying to get to the point where I could kneel or like be on, on my knees or anything like that. Like if I were to have fallen on my knee, oh. yeah, it would have been a disaster. But yeah, the knee scooter was not, but I could walk perfectly fine. So I didn't actually even need, I didn't need a scooter. I didn't need crutches. No assistance needed. No. Right. Except in the first week after I was in a straight leg brace. So I did, I needed crutches because I was walking a little bit funny, but it was one of those weird injuries that looks like frustrating because it holds you back so much more than you want to let it because you think you're fine and then you go try and do something. It's like, oh no, (laughs) I forgot about this. Well, I want to end the collegiate part of your career on a good note here. Let's chat a little bit about the community service aspect of uh, your career. And actually that goes all the way back to high school, even where you've been recognized for your service in the community. And that was ingrained to you at such a young age, right? And why? Yeah, I guess, I guess I've always been really competitive and I'm not saying that's 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 not why I did it in my later years or now. Um, but at a young age in high school, I started with the community service stuff because I saw other people getting recognition for it. And yeah, to be brutally honest, I got really competitive and I was like, well, if they can hand out Christmas hampers and like volunteer at homeless shelters, well... I mean, it's not, how hard can it be? I can do that too and get recognition for it. So it did start out, um, unfortunately, me kind of, I guess, searching for recognition. And, and, but then eventually I realized that's not what it's about. And it's nice to get recognized with awards and stuff. And if you, if you feel like that's the way to do it, that's one thing, but for me now, like, or in throughout university, it was always just like a thing that people around me were doing and something that I loved, like I felt comfortable doing, um, trying different things. It was like volunteering was a way to dip my toe in a bunch of different, uh, ponds and see what I'm interested in 
for somebody who doesn't like to specialize, it's perfect. And that's probably a reason why I did kind of a, a plethora of things. Like I was working with a bunch of different nonprofit sectors. So, um, yeah, I think just exploring what you're passionate about and what you find um, the most important to give back to is something that if you have the time, I think it's very enriching. And so for me personally, yeah, I guess I ended up getting recognized for it in university, but I honestly like, yeah, I'd come full circle by that point. I wasn't really doing it it for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to mention that it is the Therese Quigley uh, service award, right? That you won. Yeah. In you. Yeah. For you sports. Yeah. For all of Canada. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know you don't like to have that recognition, but uh, but it's crazy. Like, and Natalie made the comment in one of the articles there how she said that you accomplish more in one day than people do in a week. So, give me a taste of what your busiest day looked like. Uh, not to say like, oh, look at me, I'm so busy, but <laughs> um, I just want to know how you manage your time so well and like what a like the busiest day, what it looked like between community service, playing varsity volleyball and school. And don't forget, what was it? Your last, was it four semesters? I believe you had a 4.0 GPA. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. It's funny because now when I talk to people, I'm like on this, I've finally figured out how to be okay doing nothing. (laughs) It's like the greatest thing I've ever learned is like how to be okay just reading a book or doing nothing. So it's funny now to go back to a time where I needed to be doing something all the time or I was anxious. And I think I know a lot of people now who are in that kind of rhythm and it's great. You get a lot of stuff done. But looking back on it, I filled every minute of my day with things because I couldn't just sit and be without feeling guilty or feeling like I needed to be doing something. So in my fifth year, yeah, I basically, there's some days I'd wake up and I would go over to the elementary school where I was tutoring a couple of kindergarten kids and we would read together for an hour and then I would go to class I would do my workout. Well, this is going to like oversell it because I don't know if every day was actually like this. I would go to class. I would go to my workout. I would do homework if I had any time at all, find some time to eat and then go to practice and go home and do more homework. Like actually, I am really thankful I had such a great roommate as well, me and Emma we're on the same sort of rhythm and we pushed each other a bit, I think, because she was volunteering and doing um, really well in school as well. And so, yeah, we both had similar schedules where it was like, okay, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm going to go volunteer, do this, 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 and then come home and we'll do homework. And so it was great because I had somebody who was on kind of the same wavelength. But, um, yeah, like a, a typical day, not a lot of time for socializing and that's what's so great about being a student athlete is you get kind of the best of both worlds when you're at practice it's also like you get to see all your best friends every day and you don't need to make an extra effort to like see them outside of that so 
That kind of was your social time. It was my social time, yeah. But what about when practice got intense? When things got intense, honestly, my I don't remember volleyball ever do, like dwelling on me in my fifth year. It was just purely fun. But that's because I placed more pressure on myself in school. And so ultimately that was kind of the most important thing. And then volleyball was just a, like a fun outlet because everything kind of was going great until I got injured, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, like things were going awesome. And when I got injured, everything took a backseat. Like that was really hard. But for the most part, volleyball was just this fun outlet that kept me going. And I tended to be quite a stressed person when it came to school like I'll never understand those people who are just like they never seem stressed they always seem on top of things and they don't care when they get like bad grades I'm just like wow that is goals (laughs) C's get degrees Brie yeah I know (laughs) I'm thinking I could have done I could have done it all so differently and had more fun but well the key is to also take really easy electives (laughs) in your fourth and fifth years there and that just releases the stress. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah. I took a senior elective where all we had to do was attend a few like theatrical plays <laughs> and the in-class lecture quote unquote lecture times was watching movies like The Matrix, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that- you got to find courses like that so you can cruise, but you still get your 4.0. Yeah. That would have been great. Actually, I did take a couple easy classes in my fifth year. What was the easiest class you took? I took... Uh, Just to help Greek out. Greek and Roman studies to 11, but every athlete already knows about that one. Okay. It's like online medical terminology. Yeah, I took that one too. Yeah. So that was definitely the, the final. Easiest. The final exam actually brought my GPA down. Oh, great. Well. <laughs> and that backfired. Oh, man. Yeah, that, actually, I stressed a lot about that final because I was like, this will not be the course that brings my GPA yeah. down. <laughs> Any other courses you would recommend that are easy for ath- for student-athletes? No, because I know they're going to find them anyway, and I didn't know about them mm. if there were easier ones than I took because it seemed like everybody was always coordinating. Like, yeah, we're all going to take rocks for jocks, or I don't yeah. even know what class that is, but I heard about it. Or like RELS classes or, but I'll, honestly, like my easiest classes were the ones that I just enjoyed the most. So I found a lot of things kind of easy that I would recommend, but people would probably never take them. Like French, like I took French in university, but, and I found it easy, but that's because I was like, I want to be learning this. So I loved it. And I don't know if anybody else would just take French for the sake of it being easy. But if you're looking for an easy course, French 209 and 211. So after you were done playing, you still wanted to be involved with volleyball to some degree, and you were still obviously taking courses at U of C. And it was a nice little treat to have you in the broadcast booth, and you got your taste at what we do from our end. And I guess seeing the game from a new perspective, is that accurate? Yeah. I think people ask all the time what it was like to be outside of that student athlete life. And I think 
if I was outside of it, I did pretty much everything within my power to stay relevant and stay within that circle. So being in the broadcast booth was just one of those things that naturally I've always wanted to do it. And what better time than when I'm like, you know, coming right off the court and I get to see things from the outside perspective, but also provide a little bit of that insider's Mm -hmm. point of view. So absolutely helpful. Yeah. With all the analysis. Uh, What did you enjoy most? I think I definitely liked being up in the booth more than I liked being on the PA because I liked talking about things that weren't happening. Like I didn't like doing sort of the play-by-play, the thing that you're so good at. (laughs) I I couldn't do that, but I like seeing things and then like providing my two cents. That's what I do best. And I'm sure my fiance would say the same thing, critiquing and calling things out and providing. Not just on the court, but in life, right, Lance? I just like to, um, yeah, watch, ponder, and then give my feedback. And I think that's what I enjoyed the most was just being like, see, now I understand watching why Natalie made that choice or why those two players are in that certain rotation or, or, you know, it's... You don't get things, a chance, but... and you don't get a chance to think about that when you're playing either, right? No, and if you do get a chance, I wasn't one of the people who took that chance because <laughs> I didn't think when I played, I did not think about anything besides like the physical, like tangible skills that mm. I had to perform. If I had to think about anything else, it was like too much. So if I had even like a minor ache or pain, it was like so distracting. And it's funny because everybody knew it too. Like half the girls on the team had these jump trackers called verts and you had to wear them on a band around your stomach and like nat just knew that like if i had one it would be too distracting <laughs> so mm. but some girls would play with them all the, the other starters the had them for practice and games hmm. and i was just like yeah that's one thing less that i have to worry about and if if we were changing something or moving people around in rotation it was like i would look to pexman because she would tell me where to go. She would push me where I needed to go. And then, I, like, I just couldn't figure out the particulars of things. And so being a coach was a challenge, but I also didn't have to shift focus. Like, I didn't have to focus on playing. I just had to focus on, like, the particulars, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are people who focus on both during the games when they're playing, and I cannot do that. And then moving right along into, I guess, your acting debut. Let's transition to that a little bit. I'm excited about this. I have a lot of questions, as you can see, written down. If you guys listening have n- don't already know, Bree Solberg and your former teammate, Taya Page, um, involved in a movie called The Miracle Season, which is available on Netflix. Uh, I guess the headline actress would be Helen Hunt. Uh, kind of a big deal. And I believe, yeah, like you and Helen, do you, do you guys talk? What's your relationship with Helen? Not anymore, but for the year or so, year and a half after filming, she would still text all of us like on Christmas or Thanksgiving. Her daughter hung around all of us girls for that time we were filming. So her daughter was like probably... 11 years old and she was really into snap streaks so she would send a snapchat to me every single day 
and it was like whatever she was doing that day plus like snap streak with a bunch of games <laughs> so that was the extent to which we stayed in touch and it's just been so long now i yeah i don't know maybe if i went there i could look her up but the movie or the filming of the movie actually took place you were saying what um between years three and four for you yeah okay so it was during that off season how did the opportunity come about for you and did your mom play your part of that (laughs) so yeah my mom was was my agent i guess you could say because the opportunity was available for they were looking for volleyball players in the vancouver area so they had an like a casting call they had an open tryout where they invited college level varsity athletes to come out and do this showcase and then they were going to select girls to do what I did from that pool and when that happened like I I had heard about it only because I knew a bunch of people from Vancouver who were going to this but I was like oh that would be fun but I'm not around I was actually in Thailand when Mm. that happened so but I didn't think twice about it. it was like oh that would be cool but like I didn't really care or think twice about it And then when I was on my way back from Thailand, my mom messaged me and she was like, I got you a part in this movie. Because what had happened was she was going to potentially be working as a cast assistant, which is what she does. That's she's been doing that for a few years out in Vancouver. But they the cast were bringing their own assistants like Helen Hunt had her own assistant from L.A. or whatever. So they didn't actually need to bring anybody in but my mom knew the director so she sent him a bunch of photos of me or whatever and was like my daughter plays volleyball and she'd be perfect for this opportunity and he was like great yeah she's in (laughs) so my mom did completely hook me up and I came back from Thailand and basically went straight to Vancouver and then we started we practiced for two weeks before we started filming as a team because all of the actresses had never played volleyball before. Hmm. So it was like they selected athletes to help teach volleyball and make the volleyball look legitimate in the movie. Right. And that was my job. Like me and Taya were on this team in the movie, but all the volleyball shots you see are basically like they do a lot of fast like camera like changing the camera angles like constantly and that's because none of the volleyball was actually that good and i've had people come to me and be like oh the volleyball actually looks really good in that movie and i'm like have you ever seen a real game in your life because it was brutal but right i mean they did what they could with what they had well like when the uh when the girl took over for caroline in the movie yeah like the she wasn't that great yeah no that setting i know and I, i'm sure she's heard it no offense several times yeah. <laughs> but um no it's true they the actresses did the best that they could but it's hard if you yeah. ever well it's a new skill before. right yeah for sure so i think i remember it being just a little bit frustrating being an athlete and being like this is how it should look it should be easy but it was so it took so many takes because they wanted volleyball on demand on camera and i'm like volleyball is not coordinated or predictable right and you're trying to do it with people who don't know what they're doing. Right. And yeah. it's not something you can just do overnight either. Yeah. Like you're like, I've been playing this my whole life. Yeah. Well, not sorry, not my whole life, but it took like since high school. Hundreds and hundreds <sighs> of takes and hours and hours. And it was exhausting actually 
the actual month that we spent filming was like one of the most exhausting things I've ever done. And I remember coming back and people were like, how was it? And I was like, so tired. I could not be excited about it. I was just like, that was brutal. Like I was like, being an actress is not glamorous at all. Let me tell you. Because yeah. really we had the same schedule as the actresses and we were treated pretty well the same. Like it, not obviously not the Helen Hunts or the William Hurts, but the rest of the girls on our team and us were all like they were getting paid way more than we were, but we were all treated relatively the same and it was not that well like it well i don't know what other movie sets are like but just the hours were so insane you didn't audition for the role of brie though did you <laughs> no it was just it was ironic that the girl in the name in the movie's name was also brie but no so that was the thing i missed when i was gone they had these open volleyball tryouts but they also had the girls they picked come in and read lines because they were trying to cast one more like actual volleyball player. And so I it missed been you. that. Yeah, I, I feel like I kicked myself a it little bit. Could have been a game changer. But no, I didn't, I didn't actually <laughs> audition for any speaking roles. And that's people's number one question when they hear about this is like, do you have lines? And I'm like, honestly, no. I don't have lines and it's like that's why I I tend to downplay it like it's not that big of a deal but then people are like when you watch the movie like we're in a good portion of it Mm -hmm. more than just extras so I mean if we would have said one word you would have we would got paid like triple what we got paid and they have all these crazy rules too like you're not allowed to say more than 11 words before you're considered cast. Wow. So they would monitor how many words we were saying. Cause we did say words. Like we were saying one, two, three West, like doing our cheers or whatever. Yeah. And then at the end we had to sing, like if you've seen the movie at the end, we all sing sweet Caroline. Yeah. And we each were given seven words to say. So that they so didn't, that we have didn't to... say more than a less like particulars, but we all obviously just sung the song. But mm. if anybody asked, we didn't say more than 11 words, which was all just like, I've had people come to my mom after the fact that she's talked to about it and been like these special abilities extras should have gotten paid as actresses because we're in so much of it. And like the stuff that they had us doing and like the close-up shots and everything, like putting menthol in our eyes and making us cry. And like, that's not an extra that's like at that point we're acting so we should be paying being paid as actors but no it was all just like a really good experience and we did all kind of bond and become close as as just like members of that core team and I still keep in touch with those girls for sure so that's like maybe not Helen but a lot of the actresses have gone on to do some cool things in the last three years so I still keep in touch with them and yeah how did Helen do as a coach? I mean, we talked about how the volleyball product itself wasn't great, but Helen as a coach? She's just an amazing actor. So watching her, I guess she had spent some time with the actual coach leading up to filming and picked up all her mannerisms and watched game tape. Like 
yeah, that's the stuff behind the scenes, the the work that like good actors will put in that you don't you don't see that, but mm. it is a like a job and it's like it is a skill to be able to imitate somebody like that. So it's a lot of prep work and a mm-hmm. lot of work on the front end, right? Yeah, no, but I think she did an amazing job being a coach and like she would do like she would come in to to shoot a sh- uh like a shot and be totally fine like laughing joking with us and it would be like maybe a funeral scene or something and she would come in everything's good smiling laughing and then they're like okay we're getting into like positions she would sit in her position and be like not facing us and then she would turn around and be bawl like bawling like can just cry on command and it's it's like whoa <laughs> pretty That's impressive it is a skill, yeah. Did you like the cargo shorts look for a coach? <laughs> I feel like that look was just exactly, like if you see pictures of the real coach, they look exactly the same. And I think that's what they were trying to do with that look. But it's pretty it's pretty funny. She also was wearing, like Helen Hunt was also wearing a fat suit, believe it or not. Hmm. Like yeah, I can was, believe it. I can yeah. believe it. She was wearing a, like a fake stomach underneath and like a butt pad, hmm. <laughs> which is, yeah, just to make her look more, more accurate know, to the shape, more right? accurate to the shape. Yeah. How about those locker room scenes though? It seemed like they were just super excited and maybe that was just part of the character that was portrayed, Caroline found, but it just seemed like it was just a little over the top. Mm-hmm. Or was the dino's locker room like that? The dino's locker room was probably that crazy, like at times, but in a in a more like natural way. That I think seems over the top because it is, and it was, and it was forced, and it's hard to like recreate those moments. I think, and especially because most of the girls in those locker rooms in the movie aren't actresses. We're just like trying to force like, oh, what would we do in this situation? And like, I think we did what we would do to a certain degree, but the dino's locker rooms, it was just more genuine and real. And yeah, you can't really recreate that. What did you feel your shining moment was for the movie? Where was the scene for Bree Solberg? The first thing that comes to mind, we planted a few of, what they call Easter eggs. So these are things that while we were filming, we would plant things that were like, if this makes it into the movie, like we'll know to look for it, but no one else will know. So there was one time we're in the locker room and I wrote Brie is cool on my locker. And I like that made it into the movie, but it just seems natural because there's a Brie character oh, or whatever. To look back at it Yeah, now. and there's one time where I'm in the background and probably nobody would notice it, but to me, this is my shining moment. I'm in the background at one of the parties and I'm wearing a hockey helmet and I'm spinning a basketball on my finger. And I was just like, I'm going to be doing this in the background. And if this makes it into the movie, it's going to be hilarious because like nobody caught, no one called me out for it. But probably like the moment I'm most proud of, I guess, would be that one like pivotal scene in the movie where it's like basically... Like the most important timeout is called and I and Helen Hunt's giving this like crazy intense speech and I'm mm-hmm. the one like right next to her. 
Yeah. And I don't know, everybody laughs because it's like, how did you get to be standing right beside her in that scene? And I'm just like, well, I guess that's showbiz. Like, no, but honestly, (laughs) it was like we did so much filming that I didn't go to my way to try to be in any shots. But like that was the one that they just they do a lot of placing, like they move people around a lot. And that was the one where it was like, yeah, you haven't been beside her much. Like, yeah. Let's they didn't stick tell her you to here. move. So yeah, yeah, they didn't tell me to move. And I just like, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was really proud of how I kept my facial expressions intact for that scene. And because that was a very intense part of the movie. Yeah, right? It's like the, I could say it's the like apex, the, the apex. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably my proudest moment. What scene took the most number of takes? What Ooh. was the hardest one to shoot? I had so I had two guesses on there, either the uh, that serving in practice one where mm. you guys had to keep running the ladders, mm-hmm. or Helen Hunt's speech. No, the one that took the longest was um, the final, like that. The whole, final game. The final game. Mm. It wasn't obviously it wasn't one shot, but that game, filming it took like three days and then within there there were some takes we had to do so many times because they wanted it from every angle and they wanted it from every angle of a massive arena Mm, so that's right so they had to make sure the backdrop was right every time they moved the camera angle so we had to do it probably spent like six hours doing this one when we win and we all flood the court we did that so many times and it's because they also only hired probably a hundred extras to be the audience when in reality that arena was sold out and full. So every time they moved, they had to make sure that those hundred extras, plus they had like cardboard cutouts that were like used when things were kind of blurry, you wouldn't know the difference. But every time they moved the camera angle, they had to up and move all of these extras to a different section of the arena so and the cutouts and the cutouts and so it was just like yeah right for even the smallest angle shift Mm -hmm. you had to just up and move everything yeah Hmm. and then for continuity's sake make sure that everybody does the exact same thing when they change the angle that's right. It's like everybody has to go to the same place. And that's the other, those are the many other Easter eggs that we'll notice is where one girl is there in one scene and then they flip back and she's completely gone. It's like, where'd you go? It's like, oh yeah, I like forgot to be there. Or I'm wearing something completely different because it was the next day. Or just like, oh, I was 10 then and then I lost it. See that? <laughs> like, yeah, things like that where it's just like, it doesn't add up if you were there. Or like, and and if you know volleyball, it's even more fun because when you watch, you're like, okay, Taya just hit that ball. Yeah. And then we were celebrating and now she's in the back row. I saw so that. It just as like, it doesn't add up. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah it's I, I think I'm weird. Yeah. There was one scene she was like serving or something yeah. and then went right at the net or something like that. Or there's one where I, I hit and I get a kill and then they go in to celebrate, but I'm not even on the court. Like, I'm not supposed to be on the court, but they needed the volleyball to look real. So it's like, yeah, it's just all, it was really If you know the game, you, you, you can see the, I guess, the continuity errors. Yeah, exactly. 
one of the final things I wanted to talk about, and I can't wrap my brain around this, but I want to talk about your mom for a second, Christine. And her and I are Facebook friends, and I see some posts sometimes of her just casually hanging out with Billy Bob Thornton. Please explain to me (laughs) their relationship. And Christine, if you're listening, I would love to do a podcast with Billy Bob Thornton. Anyway, what's that all about? Okay, so as I mentioned, uh, my mom for the last 10 years has been doing cast assisting work in the film industry. And she started doing it when we still lived in Winnipeg. And then when we moved out to Calgary, she made some connections and ended up... I think she started working with Billy Bob through Greg Kinnear, who she had worked with in Winnipeg. And he knew that Billy was going to be coming here to film Fargo. So she was his assistant the whole time that they filmed Fargo out here. And basically they became really good friends and he's just like a really cool down to earth guy. So he's like always kept in touch with her and he just, that's amazing. Yeah. So they'll like text on his birthday or her birthday or whatever. And he's in a band that plays in California. So my mom's gone out there to see his band play a couple times. And then every time they just kind of have a quick catch up afterwards. But yeah, that's about the extent of it. I don't know if I'd say they're really buddy buddy, but she would probably say they're sorry, mom. Um, (laughs) Maybe they are. That's definitely her closest relationship that she's kept with like an A-list actor. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Cause she's done, I mean, she's worked a lot of different shows and I don't think she's kept in touch with anybody else. Greg Kinnear? No. No, not with him. That was a really long time ago. Um, Billy Bob, Kirsten Dunst did Fargo season two in Calgary. Actually, my mom's claim to fame in my eyes. I don't know if she would say this, but she's actually in the documentary that Leonardo DiCaprio just put out. Mm. It's on Netflix. Um, Shoot, what's it called? It was the one he was out here filming. When, When he was here filming The Revenant, um, he was filming this documentary on climate change and it's just, I don't know, maybe it came out a while ago, but it's just made its way onto Netflix. And sure enough, so my mom was Leonardo DiCaprio's assistant's assistant when he was here filming The Revenant. So she's in a couple of the shots in the background, just like doing admin work. When Leo's in there, like talking to some scientist about climate change, I don't know, but it's pretty funny. It's like this is, this is your claim to fame right here. If anything, is like you're in the same room as Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> but being an assistant's assistant, yeah. Did she even get any interaction time with Barely. Leo? Barely. Okay. Nobody did. That's one of the things I remember her saying about Leo is like nobody was allowed to approach him or talk to him. He's just like crazy anxious, had his head down all the time, like. His assistant was basically the only one who was allowed to like approach him. And that's why he needed an assistant because it was like, I can't manage all this guy's stuff on my own. That's wild. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. Um, We'll get you out on this. One of the best things that I got to see from you, Brie, over the years was actually last year when you were doing PA announcing. And I can't remember what song came over the intercom. 
um, or the house speakers, but and you left your mic on, and so you just kept rapping, and you just dropped a solid verse on the speakers, and everyone could hear you. <laughs> so take us out. Wow, Off the top the of your rap? head, give me, give me a verse. Okay, so have you not heard my... My claim to fame, actually, besides this movie, is my current YouTube status because I am in this video. It's called, like, Top 5 Fastest Kids on the Internet. This girl can rap faster than you. It's got, like, 11 million views. And I put out my my mom, go figure, my agent, put this video of me rapping on YouTube because she thought I would get on The Ellen Show. And it kind of went viral, but... Anyway, it goes a little something like this. Artificial amateurs, aren't it all amazing? Analytically, I assault, animate things. Broken barriers bounded by the bomb beat. Buildings are broken, basically I'm bombarding. Casually create catastrophes, casualties. Canceling cats got the canopies collapse and Detonate a dime a dank daily doing dough. Demonstrations, Don Dada on the down low. Eden other editors with each and every energetic, epileptic episode. Elevated etiquette. Furious, fat, fabulous, fantastic. Anyways... It goes on all the way to Z. That will stop at F because otherwise it'll drag on too long. But you can, that's a sneak peek. If you want to see the full video, just search This Girl Can Rap Faster Than You on YouTube. And check her out on The Miracle Season on Netflix. It's available right now. Thanks for stopping by Story Island, Brie. It was a pleasure having you here. Thanks for having me. We were high school kids thrown into the real world. Skipping class and learning how much mom did for us And we try to be humble, but that gets hard With screaming fans in a school that all knows who you are Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Make sure you check out our Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee, at Legacy. I want to give a special thanks to Brianna Dueck, Taylor Pellin, and Brie King for showcasing arguably the most talent in one episode in the show's history. We'll see if we can top that down the road. I really hope there's a piece of Brianna's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode. And we try to be grown up But that gets hard, we're leaving soon But this place really feels like home We did it for the fans, we dressed up We did it for the coach who saw us We did it for mom and dad and the ones who built us We did it for the team we care about We did it for the rush to win it all A weekend of headaches from the lights in a gym. Cheers to getting so close.